Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. I'd like to welcome all of you all to um, the journey that is becoming Refresh Community Church as of a few weeks. Uh, so grateful that you all are with us during this transitional uh, period as we uh, begin to walk in the identity and the purpose and the calling and the mission and the vision that we believe the Lord has given to us here at uh, this church. Amen? Amen. My name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are here worshiping with us for the first time, I welcome you. So glad you are with us. Um, And if you are here worshiping with us, particularly um, in person, I definitely welcome you if you're here via YouTube or Facebook Live. But definitely, if you are here in person today and you press through all that torrential downpour to be here, I know that you are really here on purpose. Um, That or either your car started hydroplane and you had to pull off somewhere and you came in and here. Either way, you're here. Glad you here, um, but grateful to be sharing with you all today. Um, We are going to be continuing in our series, and Luke, we just started a new series through the Gospel of Luke um, last Sunday entitled Liberated, Um, and we are going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke as long as the Holy Spirit says so, and so if you have your Bibles, I would that you would open them to the Gospel of Luke, and last week I actually started in Luke chapter 4, the middle of Luke chapter 4, with Jesus' first recorded sermon in this book. But I'm actually going to back up into Luke chapter 4 and start at verse 1. <clears throat> and if you are looking for this text, it's on page 859 of your Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be reading verse 1 through 15. And if you would stand in honor of God's word. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It's also, according to most scholars... Uh, probably the third gospel written after Mark and Matthew. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Luke chapter 4, we're going to be reading verse 1 through 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went went out throughout the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Would you pray with me? 
Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are good, God, and we thank you that even in the moments of temptation that you are with us, that you do not abandon us, and that, God, not only do you not abandon us, but you empower us for victory. So, God, remind us of your strength and the power of the Spirit through the sword of the Spirit as we look to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I just want to live for a thought for a few moments this morning. Overcoming temptation, triumph through trusting. Overcoming temptation, triumph through trusting. Here's the truth that we all know, we're all aware of. It doesn't matter what your grade point average is, um, how good you are at these things, how much you like them, how high your SAT or GRE or MCAT score was or is. We all hate tests. Um, I don't like them. You don't like them. Nobody likes them. Even if you test well, even if you're good at them, we don't like tests. Um, I've found this out throughout life. I just don't enjoy them. Even though I've been through school, it's not something I look forward to. Even though I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good test taker, I would rather spend my time in preparation doing something else, like sleeping, watching TV, watching paint dry. There are so many other things I can do that's not preparing for a test. Um, and a test, as we know, only has one purpose. There's only one purpose to a test. is to expose what is inside of you. It's to expose what you know, what you don't know, what you prepared for, what you didn't prepare for, uh, what you have uh, going on inside. If that's an algebra test, if that's an English test, pick your subject matter, whatever your expertise. A test goal is to expose what is inside of you. And being exposed is no fun for anyone. No one likes to be exposed. No one likes to be examined. Nobody likes to be pressed upon. But that is the whole purpose of a test. And that is exactly what we see in this text this morning. We see Jesus being pressed upon. And while I don't like any of the tests that I listed above, I remember when I was preparing for doctoral studies um, in, in systematic theology, I had to take the GRE. And they tested me on my calculus skills. What, what did they expect my score to be, okay? What did they think? It was so dehumanizing to do this. No one, no one likes this. And as much as those tests are exposing about what we know, what we don't know, what we don't like, there is nothing worse than temptation that exposes our hearts like nothing in this world. You see, a test, a temptation, and in the original language, whether you're looking at Greek or Hebrew, they're kind of almost interchangeable. They're these things that come against us. Sometimes they rise from within. Oftentimes they are from without. But they all do the same thing. They show who we really are. And I'm here to tell you, one of the things that I've learned as I've walked through life, gotten a little older, had some temptations that I didn't think would come my way, is that oftentimes when you have that test, you are exposed not to God. The thing is, is that God already knows. You're often exposed to yourself. You find out that you're not as solid as you thought you were. You found out that despite all the scripture that you know, all the Christianity that you have been raised in, all the Bible camps that you went to, all the BBS that you hung out in, that there are things in you that tempt you and that you are drawn to that you didn't even expect. I was talking to somebody recently and they were telling me the things that just don't 
that, that they don't fool with, that isn't a temptation for them. And while they were so strong, and I just quoted a, a, a small Bible verse from the Apostle Paul that simply says, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. I've learned as I've inched closer and gone up in years that I, I thought I was stronger than I was. And there are some things that have tempted me, that have caught my eye, that I just didn't think would be my jam. But you find out that depending on where you are, your mental health, your emotional health, your weaknesses, your areas of deficit in your life, that there are things that in your strongest are, will not draw you away, all of a sudden becomes very enticing. And so temptation has a way of teaching you about yourself. And so what is temptation? Temptation, if for those who may not hang out with that word a lot, is something, it's just a situation or an experience that challenges to choose between fidelity or infidelity to one's obligations towards God. The Catholic Catechism says it this way, it's a challenge either from, from inside or outside to act contrary to right reason and the commandments of God. And if for some reason you're listening to me today and you have chosen to tune out this message because you don't struggle with sin or temptation in your jam, I'm here to tell you that if temptation came knocking at the door of the eternal pre-existent Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, why would you think that temptation would not happen to you? The truth of the matter is, is that temptation is a normative part of the human experience. Your temptation might not be mine. My temptation might not be yours. The stuff that draw you away might not draw me away. But we all have areas that entice us to rebel, to put God down, and to go our own way and to do our own thing. What temptation exposes is our fears, our hopes. And here's where I kind of want to hang my hat for the duration of this message. What we really believe. What temptation has a way of doing is exposing what you really trust in. Do you trust in the Lord or do you trust in your ability to feel a particular way? Do you trust in the Lord's plan or your own plan? Do you trust in the Lord's provision or do you trust in your ability to provide for yourself? All temptation hangs around these areas. And so it's no different for any of us and Jesus in entering our humanity engages and experiences this in the book of Luke. And so we find ourselves here right after the baptism of Jesus. His hair is still wet from the baptism, the affirmation of his father that he is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased is still ringing in his ears. And before he could get up out the muddy Jordan River quick enough, the spirit leads him and whisks him into a place called the wilderness. The wilderness is not the woods, it's actually the opposite. The wilderness is the desert. It's a place that is barren. It's a place that is a place of testing. And it's a place that is inhospitable. And yet this is exactly where the Spirit whisks him for 40 days. This is because Israel, or, or Jesus, has the calling to go through everything and to present himself as the second Adam and as the new Israel. You see, if you read your Bibles or you've had a chance to look through it, and if you haven't, no shade, that's why I'm up here to tell you what it says. If you look back into the Old Testament in this place called the Pentateuch, the Torah, there's this book that got a weird name. It's called Numbers, and you like numbers of what? If you read it, you find out that it's numbers of people walking through the wilderness. The Hebrew name for it is Bemidbar, which is Hebrew for in the wilderness. It's all about how this nation that got liberated from slavery from Egypt spent 40 years in the desert walking around being tested. For 40 years,
years, they were tempted. For 40 years, they were tested. For 40 years, they actually failed and rebelled against God. And now they needed a savior. And this man by the name of Jesus comes to establish the new Israel, the church, and to demonstrate his faithfulness where Israel had failed. Not only that, we find out that this idea of being in the wilderness and being tempted, we see Jesus not only as the new Israel and the establishment of the true Israel, but we also see him as the second Adam. You see, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, being fasted and hungry for 40 days and for 40 nights, and yet he succeeds and stands triumphant in the midst of his temptation, whereas Adam, the original Adam, check this out, was not in the wilderness, was in a paradise. He was in a resort. Can you you imagine that? God has been faithful to him. Drop him off in an all-inclusive place called Eden. Tell him to have a good time. Eat everything that he wants. It's all included. It's all free, except for one little buffet he can't touch. And Adam couldn't even handle it, and he falls into sin. That's contrasted with the second Adam, who shows up not to a buffet, not to an all-inclusive, not to a garden planted with the hands of God, but to the wilderness, and he stands fast, faithful, and uh, emerges sinless in the face of everything Satan could throw at him because he is truly the second Adam. And so this place called the wilderness is not only a place of temptation and testing and the place where Jesus shows himself as the true Israel and the second Adam that comes to redeem us from our sin, our brokenness, and our issues, but it's also a place of formation. You see, the wilderness is not all bad. It's not all uh, 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 down from there because this is also the place for a guy by the name of Moses who fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. It was the place of formation for a guy by the name of Elijah who also fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and spent time in the presence of God. It's the place where the apostle Paul went to hang out to get to know God better. It's the place where the African church fathers such as St. Anthony and Athanasius went to battle demons and and to experience revelation from God. You're like, Carlos, you're spending so much time in a wilderness, talking about wilderness, giving me biblical context for a wilderness. What does that got to do with me here in St. Louis? I'm here to tell you that sometimes, while God may not send you to the desert physically to do some things, that God ordains you to go through wilderness of temptation, testing, trial, and tribulation in order to form you and conform you to his image. And part of that wilderness training and part, part of that wilderness lesson plan is that your heart, your loves, your loyalties, your allegiances get exposed for what they truly are. Child of God, I, I would encourage you to spend some time really looking at the things that tempt you, that draw you away, because they will show you a picture of yourself that you cannot see anywhere else. They'll show you your past trauma, your past issues. They will show you your areas of idolatry. They will expose you to yourself. And here's why that's critical. It is not until you truly know yourself so that you can repent before God that you can truly know the depth of his love and his grace unto you. John Calvin, in the first, on the first page of the Institutes of Christian Religion, says it this way, that the knowledge of God necessarily consists in the knowledge of self, because the deeper you know yourself, the deeper you actually know the grace that God has had on broken old you. And so I would encourage you to delve into your temptations. You know, I had did this, uh, this exercise with my counselor fairly recently. It was one of the worst counseling sessions of my life, because he asked me some pointed personal questions that I personally didn't think was any of his business at all. He he asked me some questions about my temptations, why I'm drawn to this. I said, hey, man, why are you asking me this? He said, you paid me to ask you this. Why? <laughs> you, 
this is my job. I'm just doing what you signed up for. You don't want to do this? You cannot do this. I'm like, no, I should probably do this. And so we did this. And I just went and sat in my car for like an hour after the session because it exposed so much. And so where Adam and where, where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds in his greatness, in his deity, in his godness that both becomes flesh and wraps it up in deity. And so what I love about this passage is that in seeing Jesus experience the full weight of temptation, here's the hope that it gives to us. It shows us that God himself loves us enough to experience and enter into our universal lived human experience. That Jesus himself, the Bible teaches us, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Why is this important? Because the next verse tells us that we can draw close to him to the throne of grace with confidence so that we can experience mercy and help in the time of need. Here's what this means for you, child of God. This means necessarily, especially for those who carry guilt for perhaps the area that we experience tempting, the area where we are drawn away, things that we are ashamed of, things that we would never say out loud. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single point. That means that there is no temptation, nothing that's drawing you away, nothing that is pulling on your heartstrings that you can take to Jesus that he does not understand. There, there's nothing that you can say, Jesus, I'm tempted in this area. And while I'm scared to say it to my small group, I'm, I'm scared to say it in a, even in a safe space, such as a counseling office. I'm scared to say it to my spouse. You can take your areas of temptation to Jesus. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, can say, child, son, daughter, I understand what you're going through. And so Jesus says, listen, you can, you can come to me because the temptation, it can't be sin because Jesus experienced it. And so I'm just saying that to liberate some of us who may be weighed down by guilt because of our temptation. Jesus says, there's no guilt to be weighed down there. Just just bring it to me and I will help you navigate through it. Now, as we look at this text and as we examine what it has to say about temptation, I want to point out something. I've already said it. And maybe it only confused me. Maybe you're good with it and you're a good Bible scholar. This didn't bother you. This bothered me. This bothered me a whole lot. This is the first verse. First verse um, is problematic. Look at it. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's cool. That's not the problematic part. We want Jesus to be full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. You see the problematic part? Jesus is led. And I looked at it in all the languages with all the lexicons, and it just means led, okay? (laughs) He was led in the spirit to be tempted. And I just said, God, why? Just... Jesus could have been, I'm sure it was some dead people that needed raising when this was happening. I'm I'm sure there were some sick people that would appreciate it, some healing, some wholeness. I'm sure there were things going on. But the Lord said, calm down, bro. Read it carefully. He said, your your, your English translation and your commas are not helping you at all. And your little verse markers, I said, what do you mean? And he said, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. It says, it doesn't say he was dropped off by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. It says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. I say, Lord, what that mean? You know I went to Detroit Public Schools. Can you help me out? It, 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 
He said, it, it, if you look at the, the tense of that verse, of, of that word led there, it's actually imperfect. What does that mean? It means that it's durative. What does that mean? It means that I was with him the whole 40 days. That, that, that I was leading him, that I was walking with him, that even when the temptation got intense, even when the temptation started to really pull on him, even when he almost gave in and he couldn't sense my presence, I was leading him the whole time. And I say, thank you, Jesus. That's going to help me preach. He said, I know. That's why I gave it to you. The Lord <laughs> wanted me to let you know that even in your moments of intense temptation, when it feels like you are about to cave and you are about to give in, you are about to fold like wet toilet paper, God says, even even then, I am leading you. I am holding you. And you ain't got to shout because I'm a shout. Because Satan comes at you in moments when it feels like all you can do is give up. And God says, even when you can't trace me and track me, you can hang your hat and your confidence in me and trust me because I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, Jesus, the Spirit, child of God, you've got to know, even in your moments when you are gripped by the most intense temptation, that that does not mean that the Spirit has abandoned you. It says that even when Jesus was sweating bullets in the wilderness with the enemy, that the Spirit was still right there. And what this means, what this told me, I don't know if you noticed the bookends in Scripture. I don't know if I'm going to get to it and be able to dig into it the way I want to. But if you look at it carefully, you actually see that this text is bookend by the Spirit. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. If you fast forward through the whole account, and you go down to verse 14, look at this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The Lord said, do you think I was at the beginning and the end and not in the middle? He says, I was there the whole time. And so what this tells me is that the victory, which we're going to look into because Jesus got the victory over temptation, the victory that Jesus experienced was by the power of the Spirit. This is the first point that I want to drop on you real quick. If you're going to be triumphant over temptation, and that's what this sermon is about. It's not just about the struggle to keep on going, how you just keep on falling temptation. No, this sermon is to help you actually attain and experience some victory. The sermon series is called Liberated, not Enslaved. This sermon series is not about enslaved. Jesus says that sin shall not have power over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. That means there's an active power that is working in you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we're going to talk about being triumphant over sin, and you do that by the power of the Spirit. Are you with me this morning? Paul says in Galatians 6 that you overcome sin, you overcome the sinful nature, the flesh, the sarks, that element in all of us that is in rebellion against God, that unregenerate part of us that cannot know God nor submit to God. You overcome that by keeping in step with the Spirit. Galatians 6 says this, he says, walk, or Galatians 5 rather, it says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Keep in step with the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the sarks, the sinful impulse. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I can tell by you looking at me. You're looking at me like, I, okay, cool, triumph by the power of the Spirit. I want to shout, I don't know how to do that. Can you tell me how? Absolutely, indubitably. That's exactly why I'm up here this morning to tell you exactly how to do it. I want to give you some practical stuff right here, and it's easy peasy, okay? Like the way you walk in the Spirit, Jesus shows you, is tied to the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. 
It's that you walk in the spirit by being, uh, by wielding the sword of the spirit. Y'all know what the sword of the spirit is? I brought a whole sword up here, and I'm going to keep saying sword. I found out, I just found out a few months ago, I got a whole PhD, not lying, just found out you ain't supposed to pronounce the W in sword. I done got this far in life pronouncing W in sword. I'm going to go to my grave pronouncing W in sword. The sword of the spirit, the, 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 wor the word of God is how you experience the power of the Spirit. If you look at the text, Jesus never gives Satan his opinion. He never just tells Satan, he, you know, we call Satan names. We call him old slew foot and, you know, we got whole songs, step devil on my feet, all this stuff. We jump him down, devil. Ain't we singing them songs of Satan standing over there tearing our whole house up? We just, he just singing these songs, jumping up and down. What Jesus says is, listen, I ain't got a name to call you. I only got a sword that it cut you with because it's the only thing that is double-edged that will divide you up and down to asunder, and it is the Word of God. And so... What Jesus does is he wills the word of God, and the word of God is sufficient to keep you in temptation. Now, I want to get even a little more granular than that because some of us are like, well, listen, sometime I be tempted, I quote scripture, temptation keep coming, so I just give in. Like, you know, it's like, Lord, I didn't quote all my three memory verses that I didn't memorize, and this brother is persistent. You, you even see that in the text. Jesus quote uh, verses a couple times. The last verse, Satan start quoting verses, and then we get confused. You, I, <laughs> this ain't funny. This ain't funny, but I'm laughing. I don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> this is not funny, but it's hilarious. Uh, a dude, <laughs> I was talking to somebody one time. It was at a different church, whole different context, man, and he, he was telling me how he was struggling, and um, he said, you know, he was looking for a word from the Lord, and of his struggle. Said he opened his Bible and it fell on the words where Jesus, uh, where Judas betrayed Jesus and said, What thou doest, do quickly. And he said, I thought it was from the Lord, so I went and did it. <laughs> I was like, What? Like, what do you mean? Like, why, why did you think that was from the Lord, sir? That was, it was in the Bible. It must have been from the Lord. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's like not. That's why you got to have hermeneutics classes, man. You got to interpret stuff in their content. That man said, I, just, I wouldn't did it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we, the question isn't so much like, yes, you need to memorize Scripture. Yes, you need to quote Scripture. But I think what's underneath all of those activities which are important, you should speak the Word of God and quote the Word of God in those moments of struggle. But the question really is, is do you trust the Word of God? Because Satan is quoting Scripture in this text. The question is, do you stake your life on the Word of God? Will you go to the map for the Word of God? Are you willing to suffer for being faithful for what God asserts in his Word? And what Jesus says is the same thing that Job says when he was stricken with illness, when his kids had died, when his wife had lost her mind, when he had lost all of his wealth, is though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And when it comes to trusting God, the question is, is even if it means your death, your demise, your ending, will you trust God enough to suffer for the truth of his word? And so, Jesus, he quotes the word, but what's most important is that he, 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 he trusts it. He, he says, I'm willing, if God kills me here in the desert and causes me to starve to death, I am not going to violate what he causes me to do, calls me to do. And so, you know, I, I feel like 
I, I tried to boil this down because I was like, God, they, they need practical stuff, pragmatic stuff, and, 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 and stuff that's applicable. And, and, and sometimes just saying trust the word of God can just feel too flimsy. It can feel too churchy, too, 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 too basic. And, and yes, I do understand that when we are dealing with matters of addiction and, and struggle and pathologies and compulsion, that yes, we do need uh, uh, some clinical help and we need counseling and therapy. And y'all already know, we, we all about that. We want to encourage you to do that. We will help you do that if you need help. But I felt like, uh, I felt like Iron Man on Endgame when he was trying to figure all this stuff out, you know, and Thanos is about to destroy all of existence, okay? And Doctor Strange made eye contact with Iron Man, and he did this. There's, on, there's only one way. I know, you're, I know you're trying to do a bunch of stuff. If you know anything about Doctor Strange, he could see all the things, all the possibilities and stuff. He said, I didn't boil it down to this one thing. I know you want to try all these different ways. I'm trying to tell you there's only one way that this ends well. And child of God, I'm here to tell you that I have bombarded the gates of heaven. I have searched scriptures. I have asked the spirit to tell me something else. And the more I ask, he said, this is the only way you're going to defeat temptation. And that is to trust in my word. And so if you want victory over your temptation, and let me be clear, you can have victory, liberation, and triumph over your temptation. And Jesus not only does that on our behalf, but he does it to empower us to get it. I'm going to give you a couple things, and I'm going to be out your way real quick. So the first thing I want to share with you is that we triumph over temptation by trusting God's provision. We triumph over our temptation by trusting God's provision. Look, look, at, the, look at the text, verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, this ain't because Satan confused. It's more, more, a better, more richer translation would be since you are. He, he knew who he was. It says, if, since, since you're the son of God, since you all that, since you got this big fella, command this stone to become bread. Now, you just got to appreciate that Jesus really is God in the flesh. He really is legit hungry, okay? Um, that yes, it is true uh, that Jesus is still the second person of the Trinity. Yes, the hypostatic union is still true. Yes, he is still fully God and still fully man. But that does not mean that even in his unique state that he didn't experience hunger. We see this throughout the scripture where he gets tired, he gets thirsty, he gets exhausted. He gets all of those things that a human would get and yet remains God. And here, he's hungry. He's in a wilderness. It's probably hot. And you know how it is. You ever been, like, hungry? And I don't mean, like, American hungry. I mean actual, like, I have not. You ever did a fat, you know, I came from, like, a Pentecostal a holiness space where we did consecration. You ever did a consecration? I hadn't ate in three days. I was hungry. I, I was tearing for the whole, calling out for God, speaking in tongues. We're going to do some of that. Y'all y'all hang around. I got something for you. <laughs> this is going to be present tense real soon. <laughs> Wait until we come refreshed. I'm going to be like, what happened? Why are we fasting in here? Refresh with no food. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to refresh and, and be hungry. But anyway, <laughs> but I, I, I remember, man, I was fasting and praying, seeking God. And I remember, man, I had my little baby sister, and I was feeding her. I don't know if you ever seen those little baby raviolis that are just have nothing. I'm like, they're awful. Like, I don't even know why we feed this stuff to babies. It's just so terrible. And I had never, I hadn't ate in three days. That baby food looked incredible. I, I almost took my little baby sister ravioli and just let her starve. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. And, and, and Jesus is legit hungry. And, and, and Satan doesn't say to him, take these stones and turn it into a porterhouse steak. Take these stones and turn them into a slab of ribs. He just says, take these stones and turn them into bread. 
Just something basic, a basic staple. And I guarantee you, I ain't never fasted in four days. I'm sure I one day, uh, but uh, in, in, in heaven. Um, but, he, <laughs> but I guarantee you that this was actually an enticing proposition. And here's why it's so enticing, because it was a legitimate need. It, it, this isn't illegitimate. Y'all do know it's not sinful to eat bread. It's, it's not wrong to feed yourself when you're hungry, but it is wrong when you choose to operate over against God and over against his will and his purposes for your life. And so the way Satan actually hangs us up often is that he gets us hung up on things that are felt, real, legitimate needs. And so what I've learned in, in, in just living life in my own self and examining myself is that sin is so subtle, and sin is just simply rebellion against God's law and his ways. That's what it is. Sin is so subtle because it's often just a maladaptive way to meet a legitimate need. It's an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. Give you an example of this. You know what it is. Sexual desire is completely a legitimate desire. It's not wrong. I, and I just want to say that for people who think the Bible and the church is prudish on sex. It's not that. God created sex. First page of your Bible. Bam. Open it up. Sex. First page. God ain't worried about the desire to have sex. In fact, he says, go and do it. You should go. I'm going to make y'all to go and do that thing. It's not that it's wrong. It's a God-given desire. It's a God-given uh, uh, inclination. But the issue is when you decide that you're going to feel that need with somebody that's not your spouse. That's the issue. The issue, emotional fulfillment, is a legitimate need. We, sh we have emotional needs. We have emotional capacities. We want connection and relationship with people. The issue is not that. The issue is, is when we decide we're going to have an emotional affair with one of our coworkers. This is what addiction is all about. Drugs, alcohol, food, take your dopamine hit are all actually God-given. The issue is not the desire. The issue is when we decide to meet it in an illegitimate way. And so what God often does to help curb our appetites is that he ordains our discomfort and our abstention from these things. And he does this so that we can learn that we actually don't need any of those things to survive, but that we actually really just need him. Because all of those things that I just talked about very quickly can become idols. We think we need a relationship. We think we need sex. We think we need money. We think we need power. We think we need notoriety. And God says, if I give it to you, fine. But if I don't, you need to know exactly how Jesus responds to the enemy. No, 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 no. Satan, I don't need bread because my only need is the word of God. And so he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and 3, and he says, it is written. This is the sword of the spirit at work here. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this is coming from the book of Deuteronomy. If you hang out in the Torah for a few minutes, you find out, I told you, in the wilderness, Israel fell apart over and over again. One of their issues was their desire to go back to Egypt because of their appetite. These people were whole slaves, just, just completely enslaved, dehumanized, beat, murdered, all of it. And they were sitting in the wilderness. Think about this for a minute. Talking about how much better slavery was because the cucumbers were fire. First of all, if I am going to think about going back being a slave, especially as a black man, it's not going to be over cucumbers and onions, okay? It's like, you know, I got to have something else. They were out there like, yo, the vegetables in Egypt, and we sat around and we ate until we were full, and they just reminisced on it. It was like Golden Corral every day. Now, we didn't have any humanization. We had no rights. We were beaten. We were oppressed. But boy, we was full the whole time. They, they couldn't even see the manipulation. They, they were so blind because of their desire. 
and we are the same way. We go back to the same relationship, the same sneaky link, the same conniving ways, the same manipulation, and we can't even see the chains that the enemy has us hanging from because of our desire. And so God says that the only way that I can free you is to curb your appetite so that you get weaned off the junk food of this world and begin to nourish yourself on the word of God. And so the way that you triumph over your temptation to look to yourself for your own provision is by trusting that if God is causing you to hunger in an area of your life, it's because he plans to fill you with more of himself. And so if God is saying to you, hey, hey, I'm not... I'm not giving you that raise right now. I'm not giving you the money you think you want. I'm not giving you the spouse that you want. I'm not giving you the fulfillment that you want. Not because it's evil in itself, but it's because we have a tendency to think that those things make us who God has called us to be. And if we're not careful, we will put them on the throne of our life and we will fill ourselves with that and have no room for who God is. You, you, y'all, y'all, you know, I got, I, got, I, got, I got four kids now. Four, one, two, three, four crazy, right? Uh, four. And, uh, you know, one of the things I'm learning, you ain't even got to have kids. If you can work with kids, if you're a teacher, you got some little cousins, you got some nephews, you know that with kids, if you let them feed themselves, they will eat cookies, chicken nuggets, chips, pizza, and whatever else they put on them little YouTube commercials that they be trying to program these kids to eat. And they will just eat and eat and eat. And one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is that you can be overly full with calories. You can eat 10,000 calories a day and be nutrient deficient at the same time. Um, it's a fascinating concept. This is what's behind the obesity epidemic here in America. And as a person that's my size, I can talk about obesity, okay? So please don't write me an email. Are you offended? You body shame me? Come on, dog. Not in a, I'm not in a moral position to body shame anyone. So just saying, these are facts, okay? These are facts. I learned if I just let my kids get, get, go in there and get breakfast, they, they would get a pound of sugar and put a spoon in it almost and just eat it. It's unbelievable what these people will do. And so, as, as, as we as a family have sought to make like better choices and, and things of that nature, what I've learned, and this is true for kids in general, is that sometimes you put real food down there. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's some lean turkey, some, 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 some green beans or some greens or something, and some potatoes and actual portions that's actually nutrient dense, and they will say, I don't want it. Now I got an option. I can either, you know, fuss and fight with them, or I can let them eat some of the junk they want, or I can let them be hungry. I can let them experience hunger. Because what I'm trying to do is change their palate. I'm trying to unpickle their tongue. I'm trying to get them to have an actual desire for something that actually nourishes their body rather than something that will only over time deteriorate and destroy their body. And God is saying to you that your tongue has been messed up. Your desire is out of whack. And I'm trying to feed you with my word. I'm trying to feed you with more of my presence. I'm trying to feed you with more of my glory. But you don't have any room for it because you are full from calories, but you have no spiritual nutrition. And God says the only way that I can fix you and switch you over is to let you get hungry. So no, you're not getting a spouse right now. No, you're not getting more money right now. No, I'm not going to let you climb the corporate ladder right now because I want to teach you that all you need to survive is me and that I am God and I am God alone and I can meet every need that you have. Deuteronomy 8 says, it's crazy, it's a crazy test. God says, I caused them to hunger. 
I made you get hungry. I put you there where you are. It ain't the devil, it's me. I put you there so that you can learn that I am God and God all by myself. Now, that's, 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 that's point one. I got to move on. I'm going to get through as much as I get through, and it is what it is. So we, 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 we triumph over temptation by trusting God's provision. Jesus says, listen, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But we also triumph over temptation by trusting God's plan. Look at verse 5. Look at this. The devil, this is like one of the wildest texts in all of the Bible. I read so much stuff on this because I'm like, this is confusing. Uh, it says the devil took him up, took Jesus, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you, Jesus, <laughs> I will give all this authority with their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him with the sword of the spirit. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Satan offers Jesus, the Son of God, all the authority. And I was like, yo, this has got to be all cap. No way. How in the world is Satan offering Jesus all the authority of the world? Then I started reading the whole Bible, and I realized that, that all of our great-great-granddaddy gave Satan all the authority. Um, it's unbelievable that, that, that Adam, when he plunged the world into sin, opened the door to sin, evil, and rebellion of the world, made Satan the god of this world, is what Paul calls him, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And all you got to do, just turn on, pick up your new station of your choice, whichever it is, doesn't matter. You'll find really clear that something is up in all of the world, that Jesus is not being honored in all corners of this world. So yes, there is one sense in which Satan really does have authority, have power, has influence, and he is going to give it to someone, namely this guy by the name of the Antichrist, who I don't know if he's walking around yet. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Um, but he can actually give his authority away. And at the same time, we still know that Jesus is still God overall. We see that throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus routinely kicks in Satan's door through the kingdom and binds the strong man that is Satan. So it's kind of half true, but like Satan likes to do, there's always a little lie, a little truth. So he got some authority, but not all authority because Jesus got all authority. And so anyhow, he goes up to Jesus, hey man, we can make this easy for you. Just worship me, I'll give you everything. That's what Satan do to us. You know, I can make your life so easy. Just do things my way. Do it the way that I'm laying out. It's always going to be easier. It's, it's the crock pot versus the microwave. The microwave is quicker, but boy, is that food gummy. That's exactly what Satan does. He says, look, you can have all authority. And listen, let's be clear. Jesus was destined for all authority. Jesus is the one that Paul says in Philippians 2, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. He is the one that, that, that Daniel saw in Daniel 7, 14, when he says, I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and an authority and a dominion was given to him and all people and all tribes and all tongues shall serve him. So he was predestined from glory. Here, here is the issue with Jesus' road to glory and exaltation and worship here in the world. The issue is that it involved coming to earth as a human. Big downgrade from being God. I guarantee you it's a downgrade. He comes here on earth. He, he, he lives in a body of flesh. He puts aside the privileges of deity, not the nature of deity, but the privileges of deity, lives a humble life, endures temptation, is betrayed, backstabbed, disappointed by the people he poured his entire life into, was crowned with a crown of thorns long before a golden crown, had his side pierced with a spear, had his hands and feet pierced, suffered a bloody death on a Roman cross, and then after that, laid in a tomb dead for three days, and then he got up. 
Here's the point. Worshiping and falling down at the feet of Satan was exponentially easier than the plan that God had laid out for him. And what Jesus does is he chooses the plan of God. Here's the reality. God's path is always longer, more convoluted, more difficult than our plan. And it's because God is seeking to form us. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus was made perfect by the things that he suffered? It doesn't mean that Jesus lacked perfection in his deity, but there are some things God said I chose to form him so that when he stood before me, even though he was already perfect, even though he was impeccable in his humanity, I formed him and molded him so that he could relate to you, so that you could see his growth, his development, his maturation as the Messiah in his humanity as he stood before me. And so if Jesus was perfected through the things he suffered, surely you or me, would we need a lot of perfecting through the things that we suffer. But here's the truth. God's path of truth, honesty, and character is just often less efficient. And God is profoundly inefficient when you read the Bible. Have you just ever read it? Read it? He's just inefficient. He, in word, he, God be on CP time half the time. If you don't know what that is, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. So he is often late. Let me just say that. <laughs> He's often late. God, God doesn't work on our timetable. There we go. Let's, let's, let's say it that way. God doesn't work on our timetable. God doesn't seem to, he just kind of laissez-faire when it comes to time. He just doesn't roll the way we roll. I mean, I would have done this much quicker. I wouldn't have even talked to Satan in this text this long. I would have flexed my Jesusness, called some angels down, got a little stuntastic, went on about my day. That's not what Jesus does. He sits there and has a conversation with Satan for 40 days. That's a long amount of time when you're only going to be on earth 33 years. But... What he says is that I'm going to go through the hard way of the cross. And Jesus says to you, dear Christian, that if you're going to follow my plan, it necessarily involves the death of your flesh, your desires, and everything that you hold dear. That he said, Jesus says it this way, if you're going to follow me, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Not pick up your airbed, not pick up your folding mattress, but pick up your cross, embrace this death, and come and follow me. It's going to take death, it's going to take self-denial, it's going to take all these things if you want to be like me, because that's exactly what Jesus does. And so, what I love about Jesus is that he stands strong. And he stands before Satan because here's the reality, people of God. And I want to impress this upon us because I'm convinced that as Christians today, I think we're actually getting way too lax with sin. We, we just like, I, like, we just don't even think that, like, we think that holiness and the call of holy living is legalism. Like, we actually think that. We think when people start to talk about living as a Christian and denying sin, that we're talking about, oh, you're, you're being a legalist. I got my liberties in Christ. Jesus, you ain't got as much liberty as Jesus had. And yet Jesus places all of his godness under submission to the spirit. You ain't got no godness, okay? You, don't, you ain't turning stones into bread. You can go to Snucks. That's about it. Jesus says, I submit all of who I am to the Father. I understand, sure, you got some liberties, but if your liberties are causing you to fall into temptation and causing you to rebel against God and causing you to live in sexual sin and make bad choices and causing you to embezzle money, you should sit down somewhere and submit yourself to the holiness of God. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if Jesus had sinned? Did you ever think about that? Like if Jesus had actually sinned. Now look, check this out. There's this conversation, could Jesus have sinned, could he not? This is a, you know, $20 word for it is impeccability versus peccability. Was he impeccable, could he not have sinned? Or was he peccable, could he have sinned? Everybody agrees that he didn't, but could he have? 
you know, I, I got good reasons for thinking that there's that he couldn't have, and because of he wouldn't resi- he couldn't give in to sin, that Satan put on all of the temptation. But I understand the other direction as well. That's not really the issue. But still, what if? Here's what I know factually would have happened. If Jesus would have sinned, it would have altered his person. If Jesus would have sinned, he would have no longer been sinless. And you know what that means? You and I don't get redeemed from sin. If Jesus had sinned, that means he's like you and me. That means if he did down the cross, he died for his own sin. If he, if, if he had did that, that means that he had effectively aborted his mission to redeem humanity and to restore creation and the plan of salvation completely falls flat if Jesus fails. He altered his person. He wouldn't have been able to fulfill his mission. And there we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this at all right now. Because there would be no church, there would be no new Israel, there would be no second Adam. Because sin would have so altered him, his calling, and his ability to fulfill his destiny that all would have been lost if he had taken one sin. Now let's transpose that down a few keys to the key of you and me. And here's why you need to stop patty caking with sin and temptation. Because when you sin and you give into temptation, I don't care how minute, it alters your person. You see, God is seeking to conform you to the image of God. And Martin Luther talked about how while God is trying to conform us to the image of Christ through the process of sanctification, when we live in sin and wickedness, we are conformed to the image of Satan. And we begin to, rather than look like God, rather than look like God's son, rather than walk in God's holiness, we begin to look like Satan himself. What does Satan look like? The accuser of the brethren. What does he look like? A rebel against God. What does he look like? A person who is selfish and self-serving. When we give in to sin, we begin to feed ourselves out of our own means and rebellion and repudiation of who God is. And Luther says, and the Bible says, I believe, that when we sin, we look far more like Satan than we do Jesus. But not only that, here's the other thing. I'm trying to help you. I told you the name of the sermon series is Liberated. I'm trying to help you get free because not only is it your person, when your person is altered, you can't walk in your calling that God has for you. Listen, I don't care how gifted you are. And let's just keep it funky for a minute. If you're gifted, sometimes your giftedness can masquerade for anointing. But what God says, listen to me real carefully, is that I don't actually use to full effectiveness dirty vessels. Read 2 Timothy about it. He says, if you cleanse yourself from these things, you'll be a vessel of honor. And God is saying, I want to use you as a vessel of honor, but there's another opposite, another option in that book as well, is that you can be a vessel for refuse, for trash. It's up to you. You can either be a vessel of honor or you can be trash. It's up to you. What are you going to do and who are you going to serve? Because when you choose to entertain sin and temptation, you cannot fulfill the calling, the destiny, in the way, to the extent that God has laid on you. And let, let me be clear with you, child, son and daughter of God. God has a purpose, a destiny, a call and anointing on your life and he is saying I am trying to give you victory over that thing that has you bound because you cannot walk in that power until you put aside the image of Satan and embrace the call that I have for you not only that affects your calling your person also your legacy listen if you're not walking as the person that God has called you to do whether you got a family whether you got a business, whether you got sons and daughters in the faith, whether you're a spiritual father, mother, or mentor, whoever you are, when we don't walk in connection to God, walking in his spirit, when we allow sin to reign in our life, Satan ain't just got his eyes on you. He got his eyes on your family. He got his eyes on those, on those boys, those girls who are looking up to you as a big brother, as a big sister. 
He got his eyes on your little cousins and your nieces and your nephews who you love and who embrace. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of us are sitting here in counseling, working through PTSD and trauma because of the sinfulness of our parents and caregivers? You see, if you want to break generational curses, one of the best things you can do is begin to say no to the things that have you bound. Because God is saying, Satan, we, we're just thinking about the now. We just want to be pleased. We just want to feel good. We just want the dopamine hit, hit. And Satan is saying, I'm trying to tear your grandkids up. I'm trying to make sure your great-grandkids do not have a legacy in the Lord. I'm trying to make sure that you don't pour into some young man or young woman and they become a world changer for the kingdom of God. And so I need you to get free so they can be free. But Jesus... He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. In other words, he says, I won't give in to idolatry to please myself now and I will keep my eyes on the one true God because only the one true God has the inscrutable plan of God. And his plan is better than my plan and the show better than Satan's plan. And so Jesus says, I won't triumph. I got to move on. We got to get out of here. Lastly, we triumph over temptation by trusting God's provision. We triumph over temptation by trusting God's plan. But lastly, we triumph over temptation by trusting God's provision or protection. He takes Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple, holds him up there, says, throw yourself down. See if God will catch you. I'm trying to put God in a catch-22. He does this. Because he knows that if God really wants to save all of humanity, he ain't going to let Jesus hit the ground and be gone. He also knows that this could publicly demonstrate who Jesus is and still sabotage the plan of salvation. Jesus says that I'm not going to put God to the test because something like this sounds like faith. It looks like faith. But here's the deal. You only dare somebody that you don't think can actually do the thing. We know dare somebody. I dare you to do such and such. I, I would never dare LeBron James to beat me in a game of 21. It's not, it's not worth it. I, I'm, I just have a level of confidence that he could probably get me. You don't dare somebody that you know can do it. You don't dare somebody to take a jump or to do something if you think they can actually do it. You only test or you dare or you try somebody that you don't think can do it. So this thing of trying God, and we all have done it at times, is actually not faith. It's actually an expression of doubt. And Jesus says, I know that God's going to protect me. I, I don't have to put him to the test. And the reason why he didn't have to put him to the test is, one, you just shouldn't. He says, don't do it. But two, it's because he's already been faithful. He, he's already protected him. He's already kept him. Jesus had already been saved from the hands of Herod. He had already been saved from the mouth of the lion. He had already been brought down through 42 generations. He had already been protected through his upbringing for 30 years. And he says, I don't have amnesia. I don't have to put God to the test the way you are trying to put me to the test because God has already passed the test and shown himself faithful. And so when we look at this text, my hope for us is that when we are faced by temptation, that we can actually look back at God's faithfulness and say, nah, I don't have to try to protect myself. I don't have to sin and, and try to care for myself. In some ways, this becomes the, the, the archetype of all the other temptation. Will I try to do for myself what God says he will do for me, or will I try him and play games with him and try to do it for myself? And what I want to encourage you to do is to be able to say no to temptation through the power of the Spirit, through the Word of God, because God has already shown himself faithful. And so you don't need to give in to the thing. 
I know it's uncomfortable, God says. God may have you in that place of discomfort. God says, rest there. Live there and trust that I got a plan for you, that I'm going to make provision for you, and that I'm going to protect you. And you don't have to lean on your own understanding. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for your protection. Father, we all wrestle with temptation. Every single one of us. In varying degrees and different ways, but we're all a part of this human experience. And God, some days, it's tough. It's hard. God, some days, we're like Paul in Romans 7, where he says, I, I want to do what's right, but I can't do what's right. I'm, I'm trying to get free over here, but I, I just keep falling down. I, I delight in God after the inward person, but there's another part of me warring against the law of my mind and bringing me under captivity of sin and death. Father, I pray today that through the power of your spirit, you would break the chains that have so many of us bound, that you would liberate us to walk in victory over sin and temptation. God, no, we won't always be perfect because we are fallen beings. But God, in your perfection, you empower us to live holy lives. And God, when we trust your word and we trust in you, when we trust, God, your provision, we, when we trust your plan, when we trust your protection, God, we can say no to all the ways that the enemy tries to draw us away to get us to provide for ourselves. So be with us and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right now, we're going to have a time of worship. And as we have a time of worship, we're going to have men and women who are going to be here at the altar who can pray for you, encourage you, who can share with you, and I want to encourage you, so don't let the devil try to hide you behind shame. I don't want to be the one to walk up there because I don't want to look like I'm struggling with something. Can I, can I help you out? We all struggle with something. Me too, okay? So kill the shame. It's, we all struggle. And what God does is he gives us brothers and sisters who can help us bear those burdens, and sometimes the burden is so heavy that you can't even pray for yourself. And you don't have to bear it yourself. You can help, you can give it over to God, but you can also get help from brothers and sisters who can intercede for you and with you. So the altar will be open. There will be brothers and sisters here who will pray with you, who will walk with you, who will encourage you, who will help you walk the way Jesus called you to walk. But don't walk out of here burdened and enslaved and enchained when Jesus' desire for you is freedom. Let us stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.